From KCRW, this is Nocturne. There's over 3,500 crickets, I think like 7,000 katydids, you know, all over the world. Every habitat is covered by these insects. You know, you find them in the desert, you find them in the trees, you find them in wetlands. And if they're supposed to be there and you don't hear them, you, you wonder why. And when I do hear them, it's, ah, things are as they should be. They're great environmental indicators. If you don't hear them where they're supposed to be, something could be going wrong in that area. So katydids tend to have leaf-like appearances. Crickets, they're, they're darker. And, and I, I sometimes put it in a Tolkien sense, whereas the katydids are the elves and the crickets are the dwarves, because the dwarves were underground and, you know, in the mines and all that, and the elves are up in the trees, like, you know, the, the katydids. But there are tree crickets, too, that are up in the trees, and they're just as delicate, and they sing. We all hear their songs. You can actually identify the different species by their individual calls that are unique to that species. All of them, whether a cricket or a katydid, they, they call by rubbing their wings together. And it's called stridulation. And it's very similar to getting your thumbnail and just sort of scraping it down along the teeth of a comb. So they have these two structures under their wings called the scraper and the, the file. And when they rub together, they make a sound. It's, it's like a percussive sound. And it's the shape of the insect, the shape of the wings, the size of the wings, um, the temperature, which determines how fast they'll call, how slowly they'll call. Also, all of these insect songs are affected by the temperature, their, their surrounding temperature. When it's warmer, they sing more rapidly. When it's cooler, they slow down. And that has to do with wing muscles in the, in the thorax. You know, if you're cold, you kind of tense up and you sort of slow down and you shiver a little bit. But when you're warmer, you're more fluid moving. And so that definitely shows in their songs. And so when it's really warm out, you hear a fast, loud, robust song. And when, it, when it's colder, it gets a little more stuttery, a little weaker. There's one cricket. It's the cricket at the start of your podcast, the snowy tree cricket. You can actually determine the temperature by counting the chirps. You count how many chirps in 13 seconds and add 40, and you get the temperature in Fahrenheit. One of the best ways to, to actually hear these things and learn these things is the lazy way, and that's just to be in the comfort of your home with your windows open and just listen to you know what's out there. And what you're going to hear are usually at the peak of the calling season, which in New England is around September, early September. So you're just going to hear this big mix of sounds, this big chorus of all different singers. It's hard to describe because it's composed of so many different clicks and whirs and trills and chirps and all these different things coming together from different parts of the habitat. Um, up in the trees are the, are the true katydids, like keeping rhythm with their Oh, and there's the, the angle wings that sound like little pebbles being clicked together. And you hear them sort of throwing in a, a little bit of a beat there. And then a little bit lower are the bush crickets. And they also have sort of a dry little that I write as T-S-I-P. That's the sound. And then also around that range are the tree crickets. And those are the real songsters. Those are the ones with a lot of pitch. And they'll either be doing continuous trills or pulsing trills. 
and then you get into the ground and you have the chirping of the tree crickets. You have the churring of the some of the ground crickets. There's the tinkling ground cricket that goes tink, 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 tink from underneath the dry leaves along the edges of, of my yard. And they tink faster as it gets warmer out. And as it gets colder, it just tink, tink, tink. So all you have to do, crack open a window, see what's there. If you want to find out who's making what sound, well, you go outside and you use your hands. You just cup your hands behind your ears. And if you tilt your head up, you're going to hear the things calling from the trees. And it, and it does, it singles them out. It blocks a lot of the other stuff. And then you just sort of move your head and your hands around in different directions. And you're picking up different individual sounds from the different heights that they're calling from all the way down to the ground. So it's kind of fun to do that as you're, it's almost like you're changing the station on cricket radio. You're like going through the different channels, which are really the different heights that they're calling from these different species. More from Nocturne in a moment. Thank you for listening to this KCRW podcast. In case you don't know us, KCRW is public radio in Los Angeles, bringing the best of NPR to Southern California. We're also known for our own brand of bold and innovative programming, evocative storytelling, taste-making music, and audio documentaries that are little movies for your ears. You can join our community to support this show and others, or make a one-time donation just to say thank you. Find out more at kcrw.com join. up on cricket time. Particularly on warm summer nights, the air is alive with their singing, a sound that activates deep and long-lived memories of sticky, melting ice cream cones, dirt between my toes, and the sound of my father's laughing voice. And later, humid romantic nights beside lakes under shimmering stars, and even outdoor cafes in the city, wearing sundresses, sipping cool drinks with friends, and the excitement of possibility. Each of these memories glows around the edges, as if from an interior lantern, as though lit by some ethereal source. Of these cricket songs that permeate the night and catapult me back, Nathaniel Hawthorne wrote, If moonlight could be heard, it would sound like that. Sometimes I will lie in bed at night with the windows open, and I hear all these insects calling, and it's almost like I'm just floating out there amongst them, and I'm visiting them with my imagination. I'm John Himmelman. John has written over 80 children's books with titles such as Wait Till It Gets Dark, I'm Not Scared, and An Earthworm's Life. Many focus on the natural world. So I went to four years of art school. I'm not an entomologist. I'm an amateur entomologist. In addition to his kids' books, John has written several nature books for adults, including Cricket Radio, Tuning in the Night Singing Insects, on Harvard Press. 
and one on crickets and katydids called Guide to Night Singing Insects of the Northeast. I, I always describe that as the how um, with regard to how to identify these things, how to, how to tell one from the other. And cricket radio is more of the why. Why should we even care? Why should we even bother to, to want to know these things? That's all that stuff that I have to hold back when I'm writing for children. So I get to let it all loose. I could use all my words. Fall field crickets in August. They are joined by a chipmunk and a blue jay at the Platt Nature Center in Killingworth, Connecticut. For me, it started with me as I'm, I am a night owl. <laughs> I'm going to bed maybe uh, four hours before my wife gets up in the morning. She's the opposite end of the spectrum. And I find myself outdoors a lot at night. And I started hearing these sounds and I've always heard them. All of our ears are wide open. We all hear these things. But I started noticing these, these sounds in my yard and I wanted to know who was making them. It was what their songs do to me. They brought back memories of, of my childhood and, and of, of being a teenager out camping with the Boy Scouts or, and, and things like that. They're like little, little touchstones, little touch points of, of areas in my life that the sounds reawakened. And I wanted to know who was making these sounds. Japanese burrowing cricket in September from under my car in a Maryland state forest. If they were just bugs calling, eh, there wouldn't be as much interest. But it started with me with the uh, the true katydids, which you don't get out west, but it's the song that gave the katydids the name katydid. And it's... And people hear that mnemonic, that katydid, katydid, katydid. When you start hearing them, it's summer. You are in the dog days of summer. You made it. And what that brings me back to was a child. I grew up on a dead end in, in Long Island, New York. And in the summer, we could play outside late. We didn't have school in the morning. And in that background was the ever-present the sounds of those katydids. And I think I just associated, whether knowing it or not, that, that sound of the katydid with the freedom of summer, with the freedom of being a kid and getting to play not only outside at night, but in the dark. Uh, we had a couple street lights there, but there was just some, there's something about being out at night, playing with your friends. It's more of an adventure. And um, that's just one of several callbacks that the deja vus that, that sort of come back to me when I hear these sounds. There aren't that many sounds that so universally transport us into peaceful memories and create a sense of calm as they seep into our consciousness. It's easy to imagine that these little insects are feeling mellow themselves, happily creating the soundtracks to summer nights as they lounge about singing of their joy. I do sort of forget that it, this isn't for me. They're not singing for us. They're, they're singing to survive. They're singing to find mates. And it's usually the males who do uh, most of the singing. And there are a number of reasons. One is the males are establishing territories. They're saying, this is my spot. Stay away, other males. And there's also aggressive calls that they'll make if there is another male in, in the area. Um, and they're also using it to call in females to them. And there's different calls for individual insects. Like you take a field cricket and they have the one call where they're repelling other males. They have another call when they're attracting, which is usually called their song. They have another call when the female comes. It's very intimate. 
very quiet little stuttery call to keep that female there. And there's, it's like they're having a private conversation. In my opinion, the sound of a chorus of crickets is rivaled only by ocean waves or wind through aspen trees. There are a number of reasons they do this. It's the males who, who do this. They're creating this big wall of sound that make it easier for the females to locate them. If it was just one male calling out in the boondocks, um, it's less likely to be found than several males joining in call to make this big, loud sound that the females can home in on. So that, that's one reason. Uh, another one is there's safety in numbers. Bats eat crickets, and Katie did. And bats hunt by the sound that they make. When you have all those sounds coming at once, it's, it's almost a sensory overload. It jams the bat signals because it doesn't know where to go. So that individual actually benefits in being part of the crowd of callers. And, it, and it's not like they all say, all right, all right, guys, let's, let's, let's get this going. Um, what they're doing is they're, they're competing with one another. So that's what you're hearing with these choruses. You have maybe one male will kick it off and another one beside it. Will, oh, okay, let's get this going. So one starts and the other tries to go a little bit louder. And it's usually not singing at the same exact time. It's singing like maybe a quarter beat later, but we don't notice it. You know, all we hear is them all coming together as this one big joined sound. And it's usually the females are looking for the louder, more robust caller. You know, the lead singer gets all the attention and, and that's in, you know, in human world and in most animal world because they're symbolizing that they're healthy. Insects, they, I, I don't think they sing when they feel like it. I think it's sort of a hardwired thing that, you know, through evolution that, that certain temperatures, you know, different times of year, uh, the amount of daylight and different things trigger that song. And they're just going to go into song when that time is right. Springfield Cricket Courtship Call in June from my yard in Killingworth, Connecticut. Because crickets sing when the time is right, John thinks of their songs as seasonal fence posts, little clues to mark the passage of time. You know, it starts with the Springfield Cricket, and then um, later on, the Eastern Swordbearer, and that has that sort of And that's actually one of the fence posts that I talk about as the season progresses. I hear them at first when I'm driving, and the windows are down, and it's usually around July, late July or so, and I hear that sound. It's, oh, it's summer. <laughs> and that's just one of those you know audible clues of what season we just hit. Spring is gone. Where did spring go? I'm hearing these now. And then the, the true Katie did, those are the really high ones that I talked about with that ch -ch -ch, uh, Katie did sound. And what happens is they, as it starts getting colder, they start calling earlier and earlier in the day. So when you first hear them, they're late at night. And then pretty soon by around September or so, they're calling at one o'clock in the afternoon. And it's like they're hurrying up to find a mate and lay eggs before the frosts come because they're running out of time to get done what they need to get done before they crawl under that big log in the sky. So that's another thing. When I start hearing the, the true Cadians, oh, fall is coming. And I like to talk about this one in particular called the Carolina ground cricket. It's a little tiny, like a quarter inch cricket that lives in a lot of lawns here in the Northeast. And it has this sort of a light 
trill to it. And they're one of the first to start calling, and they're one of the last to call in, in the season. They'll call into November, Carolina ground cricket in November, the last cricket calling in my Connecticut yard. Usually they'll make it the first or second frost, and then they're all gone. All of these singers are gone by then. They're leaving behind their eggs, and some of them are just leaving behind nymphs. But the Carolina ground cricket is one of the last. And I don't know why it's calling. The females are gone. It's cold out there. We've already had Thanksgiving. And still there's this like little stuttery trill. Its wings are worn and it sounds it sounds tired, but it's still singing. It's compelled to sing as it's getting colder and colder. And, and it brings to mind, did you ever see Titanic with the violin is playing as the ship is going down? And I think of these little crickets. They're just, they're playing as, as, as their lives are slowly ending and just giving it everything they have because that's all they have and it's coming to an end. And it just... I don't know, it stirs the soul when I hear that. It just does something to me. But, you know, I, I don't think that the calls of insects are are made for, for our enjoyment, and I don't need for that to be the case for me to enjoy them. But the fact that they're pleasant and we get to enjoy them is just a bonus. Different things stir our emotions and and they're not always meant to i i actually i consider myself lucky that i know to appreciate these things people who don't hear them i don't think they're as lucky you know there's to be able to, to take joy from events and things that really have nothing to do with with you it's, it's a gift i think I think so too, and I'm grateful for any reminder to listen to these sweet sounds that can so easily fade into the background and be lost among the rest. One man named Adam Brody went further than listening. He wanted to join in the music that these creatures create. He felt moved to play along and to share the new songs with others. Lena beck Sillison produced this piece about him, called Cricket Orchestra. At first, they were completely quiet. I didn't really feel their presence in my apartment. I ordered them as teeny tiny babies from a farm in the South that sells them for reptile feed. So I think I ordered 5,000. When they first arrived, I mean, they were very like active and quite cute. They're really cute when they're babies. And then after about five weeks, once they reached sexual maturity, then like my whole apartment was full of cricket sounds. Once they start chirping, it's just like, the whole space changes. My name is Adam Brody, and I am an artist and musician and filmmaker and a cricket farmer. The first box that I made was on the windowsill in my kitchen, and it was a cardboard box above the radiator, which created a nice amount of heat for the crickets because they like it to be quite warm. Since then, I've had them in my bedroom and in every room in my apartment. And most recently, I had them by the door. I think my whole apartment building changes. And you can even hear them on the stairs two floors below my apartment. My neighbors haven't said anything, so maybe they just think it's like a white noise machine that makes cricket sounds. In the summer of 2016, I went to work on a farm in Norway and... When I came back to New York, I missed farm life and the farm chores and being connected to animals on a daily basis. And right now there's like been a kind of resurgence of, of cultivating and eating insects as 
a superfood and a solution to climate change. They are a very healthy, nutritionally dense, fiber-rich protein. They also take far less water and uh, food as far as uh, other proteins go. My original ambition was to learn enough about farming the crickets in my apartment to the point where I felt comfortable with like renting a warehouse or some kind of space where I would do commercial production of crickets and sell them for people to eat. Then that kind of shifted as I just realized how much I liked being around them and how I wanted other people to have that experience. I had an opportunity to take the crickets to Jordan to do a little residency where I was at an arts organization talking a lot about crickets as a solution to climate change. So I just put small baby crickets into a little tin of peanuts and I just put it into my carry-on and flew to Jordan. (laughs) One of the things that really surprised me in Jordan when I would talk about the environmental and nutritional benefits, most people would say like, yeah, that sounds amazing, but there's no way that people in Jordan would eat crickets. But when people would come to hang out at the farm and just like hear the chirping, they had such a positive response. Even, you know, even after people sat for like half an hour and just like heard them chirping, they developed a connection to them. The interesting thing about sound is that it gives us a more dimensional understanding of of the world of the cricket. When I really think about climate change, I think so much of it has to do with like not being present with the ecology and our spiritual investment in the planet. The cricket songs are like the real point of entry into all of that. So I got the idea of bringing the crickets into like a public concert venue in New York, wanting to share the cricket singing with people. I was talking with my friend Jude about it. Jude is mostly a percussionist, but she plays lots of little instruments. And we had the idea that maybe we could be performing with them. So we just spent time with the crickets chirping and just imagined like what a four movement cricket concert would be like. And in the course of the concert, we also added a heating pad to their container. When it's warmer, the crickets chirp much faster, basically. There's like an old farmer's trick even where you can more or less accurately like calculate the temperature by using the pause between chirps. Some of the stuff that we were doing was about mimicking the cricket, and then other things were more about creating textures for the chirps to exist in and then some of it was more kind of like conceptual like what does it feel like to be a cricket yeah from my experience being around cricket sounds feels very calming and therapeutic in my apartment at least I like can't hear the city sounds as much and it just kind of like creates a really nice aura of calm
and recently someone reached out to me who um, was diagnosed with a sickness and they're going to be increasingly homebound and they reached out to me about the potential for setting them up with a cricket farm to have in their apartment. Everyone has some sort of positive association with the sound of cricket singing. I read about um, like a long-standing colony of crickets in the Paris metro that people feel very fondly towards. And there was an organization that was even lobbying the city of Paris to declare this one metro stop a uh, national park. And I actually tried to establish a cricket colony in the subway station near my house. I brought them in a bag and then I... I imagine that their ideal home would be kind of like underneath the platform because people drop food and they can also kind of tuck away when the trains are coming. So I kind of dumped them onto the edge of the tracks and it didn't work, but I released like 500 crickets (laughs) into the subway station, hoping that they would make it nicer. They have like different chirps for different reasons and, um... There are all of these things happening with the crickets that I could relate to. Like, male crickets are like battling with one another to see who gets to chirp the loudest. And when one male cricket loses that battle, he experiences some kind of trauma which then prevents him from ever chirping as loudly again. I We'll hear the courtship chirps. So the males are just saying like, I'm here, I'm here. And waiting for a female. Occasionally the sweet chirp of what I'm pretty sure is the post mating chirp, which the male makes to keep the female close. They're most active at night. And at night it gets like much more, it feels much more communal. It feels like something's happening with like the whole colony. Like a lot of the males are locking in and creating polyrhythms, and then you hear different. Like, it's 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 fantastic. There's what I think of as like a two-week window where the crickets will naturally start dying, and at that point, I carry the whole farm up to my roof and kind of corral them using a variety of low-tech maneuvers that I've come up with. So right now, what I'm doing is just like kind of uh, shaking them into this bag. Put the bags in the refrigerator, which initiates the same kind of state of dormancy that they would go into on a cool night. Then I move them into the freezer, which uh, kills them. Have another one over here. Sorry, buddy. I clean them, and then I roast them in the oven. Oops, lost one. And then host some kind of educational event where I cook them and people eat them. Right now, I'm making cricket pancake mix. I think this is the first generation where my interest in their song has... I mean, I'm still interested in the idea of crickets as food, but... Like right now, I'm like, why, why am I harvesting like my house musicians? (laughs)
that's a strange experience to to end the life of a creature, especially a creature that I really enjoy in life, which I think is good to experience. I think it's so weird that the average person eats like so much flesh of living things and hasn't ever experienced what it's like to live with that animal and or take its life. Having just harvested them, my apartment feels like it feels like a dead space right now. It leaves a really big hole in my general experience. I really benefit from there being something happening in my living space that has like nothing to do with me. That is its own kind of like culture and world happening. If I wake up in the middle of the night, I can like tune into what's happening with the crickets. In a world where a lot of people, like me included, are fairly addicted to smartphones, I think I'd be more likely if I was having like mild insomnia to like reach for my smartphone to kind of fill that strange nighttime void. But to have crickets, there is no void. So there's a single cricket who managed to outsmart us as we harvested them. And he's a male, so I think what I'm going to do is just keep him uh, in my apartment and not, not harvest him so I can have him to still chirp. That was Cricket Orchestra from producer Lena Beck-Sillison. You've been listening to Nocturne. I'm Vanessa Lowe. The show is produced by me and was created by myself and Kent Sparling, who also composed the theme music. Nocturne is distributed by KCRW. Our senior editor there is Nick White. Nocturne also gets support from KCRW's Independent Producer Project. You can find information about John Himmelman and Cricket Radio, as well as Lena Beck-Sillison, at our website, nocturnepodcast.org. And while you're there, check out our t-shirts, stickers, and hoodies by clicking on the Merch tab. They're beautiful, and you're supporting the show when you strut around town wearing a Nocturne t-shirt. It's a great conversation starter and way to spread the word about the show. Till next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>